Audrey from the wing. I'm blanking on her, her last name. But um, one thing that I think, Gelman. She, uh, yeah, Gelman, one, one thing I think she got a lot of complaints on, and I think we're seeing even more across other companies is wanting to showcase diversity when mm. you don't actually have it. Hello, and welcome to Wind Down, Build Up, the podcast that's giving you the tea and the tools to succeed in business. I'm Tabitha Solomon. And I'm KJ Miller. Today on the show, we're discussing the end of the girl boss. Yeah. Ooh. You know, you know I feel like the term girl boss, when it was created, I think in 2017, it was such a source of like, empowerment. It was like, the female entrepreneur that wanted to build something disruptive. And uh, I don't know, from then to now, it has really taken a turn. Yeah, and I mean, we'll get into this, but I will say I personally never loved the term. I've Mm. always felt like I'm a boss, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't need a qualifier in front of it. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, as we'll get into, I do think the term girl boss for a lot of people in a lot of ways has really come to mean white woman boss. Yes. So I think it's a good thing this this term, this era, whatever you want to call it is coming to an end, but I'm excited to dive into it. Absolutely. Now, before we do, please, if you are listening to us on Spotify, click that follow button. That allows you to get an alert each week, every time we drop a new episode. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. It does wonders in helping us to continue to grow the show for you. All right, so are you ready to jump into the tea for the week? I think we have a pretty interesting article here. Yeah, so, you know, there's an article entitled The Fall of the Girl Boss is Actually a Good Thing. Now, what was surprising to me is June was like the month of the fall of Girl Boss across the yuppie millennial brands. So everything from the editor-in-chief Uh, for Refinery29, to the founder of Man Repellent, uh, to even the CEO and co-founder of The Wing, who I've met on multiple occasions and I thought was actually a delight, um, Audrey, like all these women have stepped down in the month of June, in large part because of the lack of diversity in their leadership. Yeah. I mean, we're seeing it sort of across the board, even Steph Corey from Away, who we spoke about in a prior yeah. episode, she had resigned, then she came back. Now she has resigned again. Because mm-hmm. uh, um, why not? <laughs> I mean, I, we're seeing it with so many people. Um, Tyler Hamley from Outdoor Voices. All of these, and let's be you know honest, white women of these very cool millennial brands that have raised you know tens of millions in some case hundreds of millions of dollars mm-hmm. been you know sp- splashed across the press for their success and everything else and very much given the moniker of girl boss we're seeing them step down in droves mm-hmm. and i think it does sort of like raise the question of why first of all mm-hmm. and also like what can we learn from it 
Yeah. Well, in this article, um, they really kind of go deep on like, when we say girl boss, what does it really mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, the founder of Nasty Gal, um, Sophia, uh, she created this brand where it's supposed to be like this air of coolness. There was a look, a feel, there's a persona that was associated with a girl boss. And as you mentioned, it was almost always that white woman, you know, who, uh, who essentially was like, you know, I know she never meant to be the mean girl, but it made me think about that movie a little bit, you mm-hmm, know, where it was mm-hmm. like, you can't sit with us type of mentality, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, is also interesting because I feel like it's at odds with this idea of trying to empower women with the hashtag girl boss, you know? Yeah. Um, and but, you know, they not only was their leadership not diverse, but like throughout their organization, they try to find people who look and, uh, you know, looked a lot like them to build this brand. You know, um, even Refinery29, I think this was a startling fact is their editor in chief. Anytime someone would bring like black women or plus size women, she would dismiss them as models or pictures in their magazines and say, quote, they're not on brand. Like, what does that actually mean? You know? Um, Yeah. So this ultimate cool girl was actually ostracizing, you know, everyone except for people who looked like them. Yeah. Well, and I think when I would hear the term girl boss and people would like apply that to me and Amanda, sometimes they'd be like, well, this is a panel of girl bosses or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. um, But whenever I hear that term and I do think of the, the Audrey's and Steph Corey's of the world, um, the Emily Weiss's, the whomever, it very much does feel like there are some, a lot of things that they have that I've never had. You know, first of all, mm-hmm. I'm clearly not white. I'm not thin, right? They're all very thin. They're all very fashionable. And I would never call myself fashionable. <laughs> you I, always say that. <laughs> I just, you know, because I don't care about fashion. I try to look nice when I leave my house, but like, mm-hmm. I don't care about fashion. I don't think about fashion. So I would not call myself fashionable. Okay. Um, I was not born wealthy, which a lot of these founders were born yeah. wealthy. Um, I don't hang out on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. I, mm-hmm. you know, just like all of these things. And I'm not saying every single one of these quote unquote girl bosses had these, but this is sort of the image that is conjured because this is the founder that was so often given that moniker. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so as someone who is a CEO who did co-found a business, looking at that and realizing like, well, most of those things I'll never have, I'll never be. Then the question becomes like, so do I also get to be a part of this cool girls club? You know, mm-hmm. and that I think mm-hmm. that reckoning is sort of like what we're all seeing Um, this summer with so many of these women having to step down because their employees are stepping forward and saying, you are putting forth this image of inclusivity and how great it is and how empowering it is to be a female boss. But it's just one type of person who gets to live and be that way in your world. And that's not the world Mm -hmm. we want to live in, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if you don't like the term girl boss, are you not a fan of, because there's a, a number of other monikers that popped up and my guess is you probably hate these as much but like boss babe and ceo no (laughs) (laughs) the latest one that uh went viral was boss bitch i'm guessing you don't like any of these i just yeah i certainly do not like boss babe or ceo 
boss bitch is <laughs> wait i didn't expect this okay i boss just bitch. well no the thing about boss bitch is like to me that's the sort of thing i might actually say to one of my homegirls like this bitch right here is a boss you know what i'm saying so like sure but it's not something like you could never just call me that if you don't know me you know right. like you couldn't and they can't say that on at a panel right like, you can't say your boss bitches <laughs> exactly like and i don't know why you can't just say this is KJ, co-founder and CEO. That is my title. I chose it. I feel it. Like, why can't we just mm-hmm. say that? You know, like, mm-hmm. I don't know why we need all these other monikers. I, it just, to me, it's, I mean, they they point this out in the article. It's somewhat infantilizing to be called a girl boss, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. You know, I had mixed feelings of that. I, I know that was like the whole point of the article. They're trying to get to the point of like, why do you need to put the girl in front of boss? You know, why can't it just be boss? But I think when this term was created, I feel like we were lacking a lot of female role models in in leadership roles, you mm-hmm. know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had a few that everyone knew, like Sheryl Sandberg, you know? It was like very, very few that everyone always pointed to. And I think her intent behind creating this moniker was like, if everyone's using this hashtag, you'll start to see it appear everywhere. You, you start to notice that, like, there are female leaders like throughout our society running a, 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 a wide variety of different companies. And so I think she was looking to amplify like women in leadership um, when it felt like there was so little that existed and to try to empower women and say like, if you are a woman that you can also be a boss. Now it kind of reminds me of the campaign. I think if I'm not mistaken, it was Beyonce and a number of other celebrities. Uh, they were like, I'm not, I'm not bossy. I'm a boss. Mm -hmm. Um, It kind of reminds me a lot of that because it was like, again, to be a female leadership, it always had this, whether you're, you're either invisible or you had this negative association with it and they were trying to destigmatize it. So I think the intention was good, but I do think there, there comes a time where it's like, okay, we have enough visibility. There is enough for us to be taken seriously and we can remove that boss, uh, excuse me, the girl in front of the boss and just go by boss. So that's kind of my stance on this whole moniker girl boss. Yeah. And I agree with that. I think the intentions probably were good. And like, you know, it's not like I have ever gotten mad at someone for referring to me as a girl boss because I (laughs) I know their intentions are good or whatever. It's just not a term I've ever loved. And it's certainly not one I've ever used for myself. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's a good transition to talk about where does some of these leaders go wrong? You know, in particular, um, Sophia, the founder and CEO of Nasty Gal, she has she built a hundred million dollar brand. And for a myriad of reasons, the company went bankrupt and ultimately had to sell for $20 million to Boho, another retail uh, online e-commerce retailer in the UK. Mm-hmm. So for this discussion, I think it would be interesting to kind of learn from her journey and her experience, what went right, what went wrong, and what we can learn from it. Yeah, I agree. I think this is a, a great transition into the tools. And I will say, I think we can pull not just from her journey and, and where she went wrong, because certainly there's a lot of lessons there. But I think from some of the other CEOs we named as well, absolutely, there are some absolutely. common mistakes. And mm-hmm. I think as we dissect them, hopefully for our audience, it's sort of helpful to get a perspective on here's 
one way to do a thing, maybe not the best way. And here's sure. another, you know, another mm-hmm. way to think about it. So right, with, right. with that said, do you want to kick us off? Absolutely. So, you know, I actually went back and listened to our grab bag episode uh, that we released two weeks ago, by the way, thank you for all the downloads on that episode. Like you guys were loving the grab bag. Episode, <laughs> so that yeah. made me really happy. I, when I saw the number of downloads, I'm like, Maybe I should go back and listen to this. (laughs) (laughs) But there was something you said in that episode that really resonated with me. And I think we need to bring back to the forefront here, which is cash is king. Mm -hmm. Cash is king. I think for a lot of founders, they're exceptional at perhaps a, a, a craft, building a product, um, marketing. They're really good at one thing, right? A lot of times, like, I really a really strong public speaker. I'm really good at making essential oils. I'm really good at picking out fashions. But they really haven't taken time to understand their numbers. And, you know, I always say business is not guessing business is numbers. And when we're talking about numbers, cash is critical, especially in this day and age where it's not as a liquid of a market where you can expect to go and raise X million dollar on a whim, right? Like people are just being more uh, cautious uh, and prudent with the dollars they're um, putting out for investments. Because we really don't know where this market is going. And so in the example of NASGAO, and I'll keep referencing them as an example because I've done quite a bit of research on their journey. Uh, you know, when she was putting out these beautiful, when she raised a ton of money, she opened up a lavish LA headquarters that was beautiful. And she was spending a ton on, on marketing, making sure that like everyone knew her for being like this really cool and edgy brand. But she wasn't really taking time to watch her burn rate. You know, she wasn't really taking time to understand like uh, her cash flow when her essentially have a preserve in case sales was to dry up. And that time did come and she didn't have cash on hand. And so was left empty handed, had to essentially declare bankruptcy. So this idea that cash is king, I just really cannot emphasize the importance of this. Um, And, you know, if you are exceptional at making a product or a service, never take your eye off the ball of your cash flow. Yeah, that is so true. And and I will say, I think we've seen that time again with other um, quote unquote girl bosses, because I do think there's this um, impetus that's mm-hmm. connected to that title of girl boss and that image of the image being mm-hmm. um, luxurious. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 so all of a sudden, it's not just enough for your brand to be a luxury brand, mm-hmm. but like you as the CEO have to emit this sort of like luxury at, at every turn. Yes, so absolutely. your office has to be luxurious. Your packaging has to be luxurious. When you know the 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 um when your team is traveling, they all have to have matching outfits for the Instagram photo. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, like, I have not seen that, but oh, I have, I have, I have <laughs> absolutely seen it. And, and, you know, I think like, it's easy to get caught up in like, oh, those are the important things to spend money on. Like, I'll give an example for mm-hmm. a minute. We, you know, in the beauty world, as I'm sure you've seen, it's a big deal. And when, when companies do press la- or not press launches, product launches, a mm-hmm. lot of times they'll do a press box. 
Mm-hmm. And that press box will be so lavish. It'll, you know, just have all the products laid out so beautifully and be in this really luxe, wonderful, ornate packaging and blah, blah, blah. Okay, so mm-hmm. when we launched Foundation last year, it was our biggest launch of all time, certainly our most expensive. I was determined to do a press box because we had never done one before, really. Mm-hmm. Or I think we had done one other one, but I was like, this is a big launch. I want this to be like a really nice press box. Okay, so we did it. When I tell you the amount of money we spent on that press box, Tabitha, mm-hmm. <gasps> I did one more press box after that. And, I, and then I said, I'm out the press box game. I said, yeah. as long yeah. as I am running this company and spending these dollars, I will never spend money on a press box again because it's just such a waste. And like, yeah. it's not because we can't spend it. It's because I'm in these dollars and cents and I'm mm-hmm. looking at a press box line and realizing like, I got no bang for my buck on that. Like, exactly. yes, yes, it looks pretty, but who cares? You know, right. like who right. cares at the end of no, the day, people talk about the product, not the press box. Exactly, exactly. And what I was thinking is, if you could tell me that if I spent you know, two times more on my press box and that led to like 10 times more exposure and press. That's one thing, but that's not what's happening because I think you nailed it. People care about the product. Like, are you fixing a problem and creating a solution better than other people? Are you building a brand that people resonate with and want to talk about? Like, that's what they care about. Not if you pay like $500 for this press box. Exactly, exactly. So I just think, there is, um, not just with Sophia Amoruso, who certainly got caught up in this kind of lavish lifestyle of the girl boss, but we, I think we've seen it with other brands as well. And mm-hmm. you just have to be laser focused on your cash. I just, yeah. yeah, there's no way around it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, here's a question for you. You know, like we went to business school and not everyone went to business school and to be to be honest with you, like they don't do a great job teaching you how to manage a cash flow in a case study method type of school, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do you encourage the entrepreneur entrepreneurs who really don't have any business savvy? I mean, they have an exceptional product, but don't have much business savvy to go about learning how to manage their cash flow. Yeah, well, I, so in, in my course that I teach, I uh, give my students a template just a simple cash projection template. And Mm -hmm. it is so much easier to use than like an actual cash flow statement. I don't even bother with those. I let our accountants build ours. Like I think they're very complicated documents. Mm -hmm. Just a simple um, cash projection. And all it's really saying is cash in and cash out. And I build Mm -hmm. it, um, you can do it by month. You can do it by week. So we have a monthly one and then we also have a 13 week projection. And it's literally, (laughs) this is the easiest thing in the world. You don't have a business school degree. You don't need a business school degree to be able to sit down and say like, okay, let me just think about all the things I think I am going to purchase between now and, you know, the end of the month or Mm -hmm. the end of the quarter. Let me just plot them out and really think it through. And then on your top line money in, let me think about all of my sources of cash. I've got my sales. Maybe I've got debt, a line of credit. Maybe I think I'm going to raise a friends and family round. I'll plug that in here, whatever it might be. But you want to line that up so that you always have an idea at the bottom, your net cash, how much you've got left. And that's a super simple document to build. If you have nothing else, you'll know like, okay, I'm going to be out of money Mm -hmm. um, December. So I got to find a way to get more money by December. Like it's just such a simple 
thing to do. You don't need to be a whiz and have a cash flow statement and a balance sheet and all that. Like eventually that time will come. And certainly you can Google those things if you really want to become whizzes at that. But at, at mm-hmm. the very least, it's about money in, money out. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and honestly, you can Google and find like a template online to help you with this, um, like a Google spreadsheet. And it's literally that simple cash in cash out because I think the term cash flow statement feels a bit intimidating to someone who's never seen it and never built one yeah and and actual cash flow statements like that is an actual accounting document and those are complicated because they start with you know there's cash from operating activities cash from income like debt activities whatever it is and it all starts from your balance sheet that is actually a complicated document but the document I'm talking about (laughs) is just cash in cash out very simple yeah Yeah, um we use a software called bench and they actually do all that for us (laughs) so we just pay a fee every month and that way I know it's done consistently on time and accurate and um you know I plug in some forecasting stuff and that's how we do ours but you know if you're trying to be scrappy you don't want to spend money on it like you know I think what KJ's um, presenting is such a great option and you could just join her course <laughs> so you can get access to that document. Hey, kjmiller.co. Hey. <laughs> um, yes. So back to, back to some of our tools. I, I think another thing that we saw with, um, Sophia Amoruso and we have talked about on this very podcast was she so quickly branched out from, her main job, which was running this brand nasty gal that she started. Suddenly she's doing a book. Then she's doing a podcast. Then she's doing a TV show. Then she's doing a speaking tour. She's all over the place and doing everything except running the business. Hold on, pause. Sorry. All of a sudden now when I'm talking to you, I hear an echo of myself. Did something change on your end? Do you no. I, you sound exactly the same on my end. Oh, weird. I wonder... Okay. Well, I guess we'll just keep going. Um, okay. okay. Um, so all of a sudden she's doing everything but running the business. And, you know, I'm sorry. I, I think you're going to have to, for editing purposes, I think you might have to start that answer again. I'll just start at the top. If you don't mind. Yeah. It'd be easier to edit. Okay. Uh, let's see. So getting back to our tools, another thing I think we saw with Stephanie Amoruso, and we've talked about this on this podcast, was how quickly she branched out to do everything except her main job. So instead of just focusing on the running of the business, the brand, all of a sudden now she's writing a book. Now she's doing the podcast. Now she's on a TV show. Now she's doing a speaking tour basically doing anything and everything besides running the business. And look, I'm someone who believes in, you don't have to just be a CEO who only does one thing all the time. Clearly I'm doing this podcast with you. Like I'm teaching a course, but I also make sure that I carve out specific time for those things. And it is much less time than I spend running the business. And I think like for her, she, you know, she was on record basically saying, I'm a creative, right? And I don't like people coming to me with questions all the time and reporting to me and asking me about hitting targets. I want to think about branding. I want to think about creativity. Like, well, but your job as CEO is thinking about hitting targets, you know, and is managing people. So 
I think she wanted to do a little bit of everything and not just focus on her business. And I think if that business isn't there and tight, trying to focus on other stuff is just gonna veer you off course. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, what I'll add is starting a business is easy. Scaling is super hard. Um, And if you want to do all these extra things, you need to make sure you have a team in place to pick up your slack. Right. So I know people often use the example of Mark Zuckerberg. Like he created an awesome, you know, business product idea. And what a lot of people argue is that that was the easy part. It was Sheryl Sandberg who, you know, funny enough, we were just talking about, like, if it wasn't for her coming along and having complementary skills and experience to like actually grow and scale businesses, would Facebook be the next MySpace, you know, um, uh, essentially a flop. And right. so mm-hmm. like, if Sophia wants to go off and do all these things, I'm going to argue that she probably didn't have like the right, COO or leadership team in place to pick up that slack if she's going to do that. Like, ideally, she'll be in her role, but there's been CEOs who've done that before and they have such a strong team around them that they could pick up the slack and keep it going. And it sounds like everyone kind of relied on her and she wasn't, she wasn't really up for the job. She wanted to do what she liked to do and everything else was kind of like, eh, you know, like right. if it gets done, it gets done. But like, I'm here to do the creative stuff. Right. Well, and yeah. I think, you know, it comes back to this. Um, girl boss image like part of the image was you need to be seen in the press you know speaking about female empowerment so of course you should be on a speaking tour and of Mm. course you should have a book about it and of course you should be on this tv show you know like (laughs) and so all of a sudden the image of the girl boss becomes more important than you actually being a boss and I think Mm. that's a real sticky situation to find yourself in yeah most certainly most certainly um so what else here what what other lessons have we learned from not just Sophia but you know from the Audrey's Mm -hmm. and from you know the Christine Barberich on this mass exodus of like millennial female CEOs stepping down yeah I think Audrey from the wing I'm blanking on her her last name but um, one thing that I think Gelman, uh, yeah, Gelman. One one thing I think she got a lot of complaints on, and I think we're seeing even more across other companies is wanting to showcase diversity when mm. you don't actually have it. So there's an example. Yeah. One of the people that they hired um, actually was I think gender nonconforming, so used the pronoun they, okay. and this person they basically uh became one of the people that the wing loved to talk about and loved to show off but this person you know actually working there for a year basically said they just wanted to exploit my presence and my image for their own purposes to make it seem like they were more inclusive than they actually were and that is something I think you know we see again with refinery 29 we see with a number of companies where employees are coming forward and saying, you're preaching this message of inclusivity and empowerment, but you're treating the people of color who work for you like shit, or you're just not hiring them at all. So you want credit for this thing, but you're not actually doing this thing. And that, yeah. I think, again, 
is something we see across the board with a lot of these girl bosses, you do wanna be recognized as someone who's inclusive and has a great work culture. But then when you dig under, you look under the hood a bit, that's not what we see. Yeah. Um, yes. And I have a question for you though, which is then I hear about like your CFO, you know, after they raised over a hundred million dollars was actually a black woman. And I know she, I mean, she hit all the press circuits, right? It was like black enterprise Forbes, whatever, like literally any business publication, she was a headline on like the wing CFO, the black woman who helped him raise his hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm for you are you just thinking like oh well that's a one-off there isn't have enough representation is the problem or because I again I'm torn on this because I I see this I'm like I I've never seen a black CFO at a startup this massive before you know it's usually like all white women and white men and maybe some gays and a lot of companies when you say diversity it means white women and gays right Mm. Um, it is not talking about people of color so I, I see this and I, I actually was super excited when I saw this. I applauded them. But then, and this is why I'm saying I'm torn. I was actually a member of the wing for almost two years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, it's true. Like I would go into these spaces and the, everyone dressed a certain way. And, you know, that, that cool girl vibe, especially if you were in the New York location. Um, and they actually sent out a couple emails because there was, some race issues that happen where like people were talked down to or treated differently. And then the CEOs would email all the members and and acknowledge what happened and apologize and take accountability. Um, So I was torn because I was like, I don't know if they're intentionally creating like this environment where like black people just are not joining as members or is it the price point that makes it like people are self-selecting out mm-hmm. or, you know, like I just had a lot of questions yeah. about the wound in particular. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm torn too, because we've done events with the wing. We've had good experiences with the, the, the leadership team there. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say when I've walked into those spaces, I have never felt particularly like, Welcome. this is a space for me. Yeah. That is just never something yeah. that, I have felt so yeah yeah I um I don't know I I I think that it can be true that they're doing good things with um diversity on their executive leadership team and it but also true that that diversity is not being showcased in membership or that they aren't doing enough to make members of all backgrounds feel comfortable you know I think yeah. both of those things can be true yeah that's fair that's fair and you know it wasn't just the wing like at almost all these companies that we talked about in the top of our conversation diversity was a really really big problem and part of the demise and fall for these ceos um and so i think that's a big lesson right like I think that in this day and age, people are not okay with your leadership team uh, in any company being a homogenous group of people, whatever it is, right? And so being intentional as you build your company to include people of color, in my opinion, is now a requirement. It's not a nice to do. It's a requirement um, as like, especially a millennial brand, like millennials and the generation coming behind us, they're not playing that. They're just not up for that anymore. And they want to see representation. 
Yeah, I think that's right. Cool. Well, I think that might be all the time we have for this conversation and like learning from this June 2020 month of female millennial CEOs essentially closing their doors or resigning in their roles and kind of learning a couple of key things on what we, me, you, and our listeners can do to make sure that we continue to thrive even during these really tricky times. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot to be learned here. And I think it's just time for us to be bosses. Yay, I'm here for it. Hashtag boss. Okay, hashtag boss. Um, Well, look, guys, that is it for this week. If you're loving the show, stop right now and subscribe. And please give us a five-star rating and tell a friend. Absolutely. And if you have a topic that you'll love for us to dive into, or if you're interested in a sponsorship opportunity, simply send us an email at winddownbuildup at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and see you next week. Bye.